Turn in the Word of God with me to the Gospel of John chapter 9 for the last two scenes in this chapter. John chapter 9, scene number 6, verses 35 through 38. Wonderful words, wonderful words of the Lord Jesus Christ pursuing this man for the second time. John 9, 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And amen to that. Yes. Scene number six. We had a healing. Questions by neighbors. Questions by Pharisees. Parents questioned. An exchange between the Pharisees and the man born blind. Now we come to the last two short scenes. He's been cast out out of his church. He's been thrown out of synagogue and temple worship. That's the end of verse 34. But Jesus hears about that and comes and searches him out and finds him. And we should find great comfort in that fact. Amen. What a precious corresponding event to be compared to verse 1. In verse 1, it was the words, He saw a man that moved me so much in studying this chapter. Jesus saw. He sees you in all your circumstances, and it doesn't take a church, and it doesn't take a family or a crowd. He saw a man. And I wanted to emphasize that, that the Lord, it's called the eyes of the Lord. They run to and fro through the earth. They see individuals. Not a sparrow can fall without the oversight of God the Father. And he knows the hairs of our heads, as Michael shared with you just recently. But he saw a man. Here, he went and found that man because he heard about that man. Right. We want to think on that for a moment. Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe and king of kings, cared for this man. Singularly considered. Jesus heard news about this man. He did not hear the man's prayer request. That young man that I just mentioned also said when he was up here giving his testimony that sometimes we, or someone else did, sometimes we don't pray, but the Lord hears anyway and answers us. And that's wonderful. We know God hears our prayers, but this is other knowledge that he has of our needs. In Matthew chapter 6, he said that he has knowledge of our needs before we ask. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 and verse 32. He is omniscient, so he knows everything about our lives. And the angels communicate events to him as well if he were to be in need of any information. Child believers have angels always beholding their father's face. The information is great that he has of our lives. Jesus knows far more about your circumstances than you know about them. And he hears about it. And so in verse 35, he heard that the man born blind that had been healed had been cast out and rejected by the religious leaders of the church. Amen. Others may reject you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And that is his word of promise. Right. 
He promised a certain fact, so you should trust him and be totally content with your life. Hebrews chapter 13 says that we ought to be content with the things that he has given us. Let your let me read that exactly. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6 have a nice combination together Amen. that we want to remember. Let your conversation be without covetousness. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What gets rid of covetousness and what gives contentment? To remember the Lord of glory is with us and will never leave us, though others may reject us. David knew, according to Psalm 27 and verse 10, that if his parents forsook him, then the Lord will take me up. And so that wasn't anything to despair about either. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Jesus hears about the situations in your lives, and he knows them. He sees a man, he hears about a man. He knows. Then he does something about it. And when he had found him, that is not the blind man finding Jesus. That's Jesus finding the man born blind. Jesus went and searched him out. How many people were in the city of Jerusalem? At the, at the sieging of Jerusalem, when it was destroyed in 70 AD, 40 years later, 1.1 million were killed inside the city, and there were 90,000 taken captive and sold into Egypt. So that's 1.2 million. For the feasts of Israel, many hundreds of thousands got together for those feasts. Right. It was a large city. There had just been the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus went and found him. Jesus searched him out. And Jesus has searched out every single one of us Amen. or we wouldn't be here today. Right. He has come after us individually. He's made differences in families, family trees. He's made differences in the world. And he has his very small remnant and he's made you part of it if you're truly a believer on him today. Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, let me say it again, and the king of kings, searched out this man. He went and found him. David knew wherever he was in the universe, God was there. That's what Psalm 139 teaches us. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, thou art there. If I'm in my bed, thou art there. You know every thought while it's still in my tongue and it hasn't even been spoken yet. When I was in my mother's wombs, before I was fashioned and put together, thou art there. Every member of my body was written in your book before it was even fashioned. That is how well the Lord knows you and will not leave you. Right. The first 18 verses of Psalm 139. God found Hagar in the wilderness in her terrible plight and saw her. Jesus is the great shepherd and Jesus is the good shepherd and he finds his sheep and does something for them. They, he had been rejected by them, but he was found by the Lord. Right. The bishop and shepherd of our souls does good for us when he finds us. Amen. And he searches us out. That is just so comforting. Amen. You should love that 35th verse. Jesus heard, and when he had found him, and what he did for this man, he's done for each of us, or we wouldn't be here, believing what we believe today. He said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Jesus confronts the man born blind that he healed and asked him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Here is John's purpose in writing this epistle that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Not just a prophet, not just a fellow from Galilee, but 
the Christ, the Son of God, the anointed, promised, prophesied one that God would send, and one fathered by God in a virgin, because that had been prophesied and the Jews knew about it. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? The chapters before and after this ninth chapter both repeat, all these chapters in the Gospel of John repeat this crucial duty of us believing from the very first chapter in the 12th verse. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. The Jews by prophecy knew that God would send his son born of a virgin. John had also stated God's work necessary for us to believe. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? It takes the work of God for any man to believe. No man cares. It's foolishness. The things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to them. The Jews didn't care. The Jews thought they had Abraham as their father, and that was good enough to take care of their eternal destiny. The Jews trusted Moses and were his disciples. They didn't need the Lord of glory. But John has already taught us in chapter 1, which were born. John chapter 5 where it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. God had already passed those that did the hearing and the believing. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God, is what he had taught in chapter 8 and verse 47. Men go to hell by Adam's sin and their own. Others go to heaven by electing grace. Dost thou believe in the Son of God? Was not an issue of eternal destiny being altered by the man's response. And we want to understand that and we want to remember that. Though that is not where we should put the emphasis. When we read a question like this, Dost thou believe in the Son of God? We want the emphasis to be, Do I believe? How do I believe? And how does it change my life? Right. Because the mere mental assent is not good enough. It's got to change our lives. And we want to focus on that aspect of it rather than defend this verse from Arminian heretics. We want to grow in faith and knowledge that the believer has when he's fully converted. God's going to glorify all of his predestinated children at his coming of Christ in a day that's rapidly approaching. But it asks here, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Believing on Jesus Christ of Nazareth as the Son of God is your first duty. It's your first and great duty to believe that Jesus of Nazareth, the one from Galilee, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, is God's Son. God testified of his son, and you reject God when you reject Jesus' identity as God's son. First right. John chapter 5, verse 4 through about verse 13 states in a long passage that God has borne witness of his son on earth and in heaven. 
and we better believe it. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. God has borne witness of his Son, and to reject the identity of Jesus of Nazareth, which these men did, they reject the God that sent him. And God loves his Son. And when we reject the Son, we reject the Father, and the consequences are justly poured out upon us for that. There is hell to pay if you disobey the gospel. He that believeth, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, shall, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 15 and 16. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Jesus Christ is coming from heaven in vengeance with his mighty angels in flaming fire to wreak vengeance on all them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This question is very important. Dost thou believe? Anyone that does believe was elect before the foundation of the world, justified by the cross of Christ, regenerated by the Spirit, or he would never believe. And if he believes, it shows that he shall be glorified in the great day of Christ's coming. So it doesn't change eternal destiny by the choice, but it proves that the choice of eternal destiny was made on that man's behalf. Because he quickly, willingly, not only believes, but worshiped. Because we have met in John, those that believed on Jesus in some way of mental ascent because of his miracles that were not elect or justified or regenerated. The devils believe and tremble, but that's no proof of everlasting life. It's a changed life that is so important. Faith starts. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Faith starts with our mental assent and agreement and embracing of all the facts that the Bible gives us about Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. We hear this message from the Bible that Jesus of Nazareth is God's Son, and we believe it. That's where it starts. It is a mental choice to believe the facts about Jesus of Nazareth. But that is just a start. And a man can believe those things, a devil can believe those things, and not be born again. It's got to result in more. Then when it results in more, you have evidence that that initial faith was real faith sent from God. That's what James 2 teaches. Calvinists like to talk about saving faith. The Bible denies such a thing. Can faith save him? Is James's question in James chapter 2. It's a rhetorical question. It's so obvious that you should know the answer. Faith can't save him. Faith is not enough evidence. It's got to be faith plus. Sola fide is not scriptural. Sola fide is what Abraham had without the works of Moses because Abraham was 430 years in front of Moses. That is why it says that Abraham was justified by faith. He was shown to be righteous. He proved his righteousness by faith that he had 430 years before the nation of Israel was set up. 
And so he is a perfect argument for the Apostle Paul in dealing against Jewish legalists. But I have gone down that road so many times with you, I hope you understand it. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? That initially is we believe the facts given about Jesus of Nazareth as being God's Son. But faith includes the heart, full of appreciation and affection for God's Son. The eunuch to Philip in the chariot in the desert. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? If thou believest, dost thou believe in the Son of God? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. You can stop this chariot, and I will go down in that water with you if you believe on the Son of God that I've just presented to you from Isaiah 53, where Philip preached Jesus, and you love him with all your heart. You have all your heart involved in this. Your affections are involved, not just the mind. It starts here, but then it includes the affection with all thine heart. That is a commitment. That is a commitment of affection. That is a commitment of following. Mind, heart, believe, love. I ask you right now, dost thou believe on the Son of God? It is not just some light mental recognition of facts and agreement that Jesus is the Son of God. It is loving him as God's son and a commitment of your life to follow him and you're willing to pay a price because you'll do anything to please Jesus Christ and his father. Faith starts with mental assent, then it includes the heart full of appreciation and affection. It then requires obedience to gospel duties of repentance, confession, and baptism. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts 2.37, repent. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized, that if thou shalt believe in thine heart and confess with thy mouth. Romans chapter 10. These are the stages of what we add to the mental assent that Jesus is the Christ. We confess him with our mouths. We believe, with, believe on him in our hearts. We're willing to be baptized. We repent of all our sins. It is a life-changing event to believe on the Son of God. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? It then requires a changed life, showing the soul's sincerity. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is turning your life upside down. That is your willingness to do anything the Bible says because God has regenerated you, you've believed in His Son because of that. Because you've believed in His Son, you've repented of your way of doing things. You have embraced Him in your heart. You've been baptized in His name. And you're changing your life to follow Him. And if we haven't gone through this, we don't truly know the Son of God. We're like some of these believers in the Gospel of John that Jesus would not commit himself to because they were not real believers. Jesus knew what was in them. They were holding on to their own little lives and they weren't truly converted or born again. Lord, help us. It then requires good works being diligently added to your faith. Why doesn't everyone know this? Sola fide, 
What are you talking about? Add to your faith virtue. When you add something to faith, does that sound like sola fide? Faith only? Add to your faith. Virtue. We prayed for it this past Thursday. Add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, God and his patience, temperance, brotherly kindness, and charity. Eight things that were, seven things we're supposed to add to faith. God gives us the gift of faith. You say, but what about Paul using faith in Romans chapters 3 and 4 and Galatians chapters 3 and 4? Yes, he was fighting Jewish legalists. Are you one? Do I need to go to those chapters to help you? Are you a Jewish legalist thinking that you need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to go to heaven? If you're past that, if you're past that, then we're going to go to the epistle of James and find out that the devils believe and tremble, and it's not sola fide. Ye see then, this is James chapter 2, 24 and 26, ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by sola fide. Ye see then that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Because Abraham, it couldn't be proven that Abraham truly believed in God until he raised his knife over a bound Isaac. That's what it says in James chapter 2. And so, dost thou believe on the Son of God? Sure, I believe. Do you believe on Jesus? Do you believe on Jesus? Oh, everybody believes on Jesus. If we were to go downtown Greenville and walk down the sidewalk, do you believe on Jesus? Most everybody's going to say yes. What does it mean? Nothing. Right. It means nothing. Anybody can believe like that. The devils believed a whole lot better. James said so. They trembled. When the devils met Jesus when he was on earth, you know how many times I've reminded you of this, they would fall down in, through the man that they were in, or the girl or the woman, fall down and worship him. We know thee who thou art. Thou art the Holy One of God. Art thou come to torment us before the time? Their Christology was perfect. Their eschatology was perfect. They knew where they were going and who was going to send them there. The Lord Jesus Christ of glory. But that didn't give them eternal life. And so I just want us to look at this question and before we race past it and ask ourselves, do we believe on the Son of God? Has it changed our lives? Is it changing our lives on a daily basis? There is no place for a stubborn Christian. There is no place for a self-willed Christian. There is no place for a Christian holding on to their ideas of how things ought to be done as opposed to the Word of God. That is not a Christian that is not believing on Jesus Christ. Believing on Jesus Christ is changing your life. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we've got to do that on a continual basis. Because our old man and our flesh wants to get into our lives and exert itself all the time. And so we've got to put it off and put Christ on every single day. But a man that's truly born again, that is truly believed in the Son of God and loves the Son of God and wants to please Him and His Father will do those things. We reject the Puritan notion of striving and straining for an emotional or metaphysical experience of something they and others call saving faith. 
Jonathan Edwards and the Great Awakening and the overemphasis on struggling and straining and striving and having the law preached, the law preached over, the law preached, we're going to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him. Be baptized in his name. Repent of your sins. Embrace him in your heart with all your heart. Repent of and, and, and change your life for his sake. And follow him. It is a, Jesus said in this, in John chapter 8, that a true disciple is one that, a disciple indeed, a true disciple, is one that continues in his word. More could be said on that. More has been said on that. Lord, please help us. It is our pleasure. It is our privilege to believe on the Son of God and to grow in faith, peace, joy, and hope. Faith should believe every jot and tittle of God's word about Jesus Christ. Faith should rejoice at every jot and tittle about God's Son and the Messiah. Faith should praise God for His great grace and power in Jesus the Christ. Faith should share the fantastic things of the gospel of Christ with others. Faith should love all that God has ordained, baptism, the church, and the scriptures. Faith does these things. If you don't do these things, what kind of faith do you have? Honestly. Faith does these things. Do you praise the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you embrace him? Do you thank God for him? Do you tell him how thankful you are? We're about to have the Lord's Supper. It's more than a ritual. It's not a ritual. It's a remembrance. It's a revival. It's a recommitment. It's a rejoicing. The Lord of glory came down and gave his life on Calvary for us. Dost thou believe in the Son of God? You ask me, are you trying to tell me that everything you just said is included in that question? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. You say, well, what about this man born blind? Did he think that it meant all that much? Yes. And he worshipped him. And he worshipped him. How do you worship Jesus? Here? The Lord's table? Here? Sitting in a pew? Is that all there is to it? Oh, come on. These Pharisees had it strapped on their foreheads, strapped on their arms, their hems enlarged. They could quote it. They would pray nine hours at a time, making long prayers for a pretense. Jewish traditional history tells us that about the Pharisees' prayers in public. They gave. They gave large amounts. They tied their herb gardens. Oh, they did everything. They had added so many little meticulous little rituals to their religion, but did they believe on the Son of God? No, they didn't. Verse 36, he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Who is he, Lord? I think of Saul of Tarsus. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. Very similar, isn't it? I am Jesus. Who is he, Lord? The man born blind knew that Jesus was at least a prophet sent from God, because what he had done proved that he had divine power. He was born again and waiting to be shown the Savior. Compare Philip's role to explaining to the eunuch that Isaiah 53 was about Jesus. It should be our greatest pleasure to explain to others and to excite others about Jesus Christ, Jesus the Son of God. 
we want to delight in every aspect we can learn about the glory of Jesus Christ. Every bit of delight and joy that we have in Jesus Christ gives glory and honor and pleasure to God His Father in heaven. The Father loves the Son. Who is He, Lord, that I might believe on Him? I am ready. I just want to know who the Son of God is. I've heard about Him. I, didn't, I haven't seen for 35 years, but I've heard about Him. I've heard the Scriptures read. Who is He, Lord? Is the Messiah come? Is the Son of God here? I'll believe on Him. I don't know who He is, Lord. We weren't as well off as He was. What were we? Because we were Gentiles. When we, when we think about the last 2,000 years, the Gentiles didn't know anything about Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't know anything about a Messiah. They didn't know anything about the Son of God coming. But the apostles went and turned the world upside down by preaching that news. And Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus said unto him in verse 37, Thou hast both seen him. Well, that would have to be a rather recent relationship, wouldn't it? How long has this man been seeing? Thou hast both seen him, like last second, like a minute ago. Yep. Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Amen. Wow. Is that personal? Is that face to face? Dost thou believe in the Son of God? Lord, who is he that I might believe? He's talking to you right now. What a gracious, difficult way for the Lord to, to answer. So, so similar to the woman of Samaria back there a few chapters in John chapter 4. Remember when he was exchanging with the woman of Samaria? The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. See, these people knew about the Son of God coming, even Samaritans. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I that speak unto thee am he. Wow! Okay, has the Lord done anything less for you than he did for the woman of Samaria and the man born blind? Has he come to you? Has he come to you with convincing power and convincing presence and convincing facts and by the power of the Spirit that you were able to embrace and know that he was that close and real and that you believed on him with all your heart? Amen. He has. If he hasn't, beg him for it. If you beg him for it, it proves a regenerated heart that wants something real. He has come to us. The fault is, the weakness is, we lose our first love. We get that first love of the Savior, then it dissipates and goes away because the things of this world choke it out. Lord, forgive us. Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Jesus didn't hold back and play hard to get it all, did he? He didn't say to him, you need to go grieve for a few months about your sins. You need to go have the law preached to you so that you can be condemned by it. He just said, he's talking to you. Do you believe in the Son of God? Because it starts with mental assent, goes to embracing him with all your heart, repenting of your sins, being baptized, and changing your life for him who loved you and gave his life so that you could give your life a living sacrifice to him. Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. Now, this conversion didn't take very long, did it? 
Isn't this beautiful? This is better than the first half of the chapter. He was able to see. Give me a Fanny Crosby that can't see, but can see the Lord Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith. That's better than having your eyes, but not seeing the Lord of glory. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, creator of the universe, the King of Kings, face to face with the man born blind. And he's coming again soon to burn this universe up and to change it and give us a new heaven and a new earth. Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. His actions here reveal much more than mere mental assent to the facts of Christ, doesn't it? Because we met in John chapter 2 those that believed on Jesus for his miracles, but Jesus would not commit himself to them because he knew what was in man. John chapter 6, thousands were pursuing Jesus Christ and seeking him because he had filled their bellies. And Jesus said, you do not seek me, Because I am the Son of God, you don't seek me because I'm the bread come down from heaven. You seek me because I filled your bellies and you want more of it. We want to seek him because he's the Lord of glory that came to earth to lay down his life for us. And he's coming again so that we can live with him forever by the eternal life he's given us. Do you worship the Son of God today? Don't tell me about being here. That isn't good enough. Do you love him in your heart to the degree it changes your life? If you're a child and you have living parents, you honor your parents the way the Bible says. You have money, you use that money the way the Bible tells you to use that money. You follow the Bible in your money, you follow the Bible with your parents, you follow the Bible in your marriage. If you are not doing all these things, and you are rebelling against the word of God because all these things are preached in this church, then you haven't believed in the Son of God. You're just pretending to be a Christian. Do not look back at some little decision that you made for Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible is that given any credit at all whatsoever, ever. Believing on Jesus Christ is a changed life about the Son of God, that he has the right to dictate the terms of your life, and you gladly give him your life. Is your heart warmed and your mind filled with the glory of the Lord Jesus? How beautiful he is in every way. He is altogether lovely. If Jesus Christ isn't altogether lovely to you, what is? What do you think would make you happy? What are you waiting for in your pitiful little life? The Lord Jesus Christ is superior to all of it. And you should know that and embrace that and remind yourself of that fact And remember the first works that you've done once before. Repent of having let them slip and do them again. It's a constant effort that we've got to go through. The church at Ephesus had lost their first love. That was a church that Paul founded. And Paul spent over two years in that city with those people. But they lost their first love when John wrote them in Revelation chapter 2. We come to verse 7. Scene 7. Verse 39. Scene 7. Jesus said... For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Jesus has taught us in John, in verse 17 of chapter 3, I came not into the world to condemn the world. So this judgment by Jesus Christ is something different than he's going to bring at his second coming. This judgment is not his active condemning men to hell yet, because that is yet to come. This judgment that Jesus is involved in coming into the world 
was his exposing men by how they responded to him. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Those that thought they could see were made blind by the Lord Jesus Christ because they turned away from him to the law, to Moses, to Abraham, toward anything but the Lord Jesus. To those that couldn't see and knew they couldn't see, but they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave them sight for their eyes. A huge difference made by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has taught us in John chapter 3, immediately, the next verse after, verse 17, where he said he came not to condemn the world, he said it was the, he, it was the fact that he was light, and men loved darkness more than light, that they would not come to him, and because their evil deeds were exposed by his light. And that is the effect that Jesus Christ had at his first coming. He exposed men. He was a divider of men. Some believed on him, repented of their sins, were given sight, and saw everything clearly. Others, who thought they saw clearly, would not repent, hated him, crucified him, and were totally blinded, hardened up, and judged by the Romans in 70 AD. He made a huge difference, not by his active judgment, as he will in the great day of judgment that's yet coming, but in his indirect or passive judgment by being there, living his righteous life, and preaching the gospel perfectly and purely. How did men respond to it? And so we have this final scene of the chapter. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And so the Pharisees ended up blind, and the blind man, but it's not talking about natural sight, it's talking about spiritual sight, could see. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Are you trying to say that we're blind? Along with these other blind people that you're referring to? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see. Therefore your sin remaineth. Jesus is dealing in verses 40 and 41 with perceived vision. Their self-perceived vision. They thought they saw. Did Jesus consider the Pharisees spiritually blind? Absolutely and always. Blind gnats. Blind guides. They, they be blind leaders of the blind. Let them both fall in the ditch. Did Jesus consider and know the Pharisees to be spiritually blind? Absolutely. Then why did he say... If ye were blind, since he knew they were blind, because he's dealing with a different aspect of vision, and that is what they thought about their vision. They thought they could see. Verse 41, Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, if ye knew you were blind, if you were doing this in ignorance, if you knew that you didn't know anything about the real truth of God and were willing to submit to me and repent to me and be and to believe on me, then your sins would be forgiven. But because you think you see everything, because you think you know everything, and you will not humble yourself to me, your sin remaineth. It's hanging over you, and it's going to destroy this nation in 70 AD when I come with my armies and burn it up, and in the great day of judgment, your sins yet upon you. He that believeth on me is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you knew that you were blind, you would listen. 
But because you think you see, you will not listen to what I have said. You will not see me as the light of the world because you think you have all the light necessary already. This is the reasoning of the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes natural blindness and cures it. He takes spiritual blindness and cures it. With the man born blind, he then turns to those that think they see and tells them, you're blind and your sin is still on you. The last three verses of the chapter. Scene number seven. Now, do you think that you see? And do you think that you believe in the Son of God? Then why don't you show out of a good conversation, that is a changed life, as a wife, as a husband, as a child, as a parent, as a financial steward, as a manager of your mouth, change everything out of a good conversation, show your works of wisdom by a changed life, and, we'll be, and, and you can know that you believe on him, and we can know that you believe on him. It results in a changed life. Where's your zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ? Who was the last person you shared him with? How, how did you last praise the Lord Jesus Christ? What, what did you do the last time to bless God for giving his son? On and on we can go. Mental assent, with all thine heart, baptism, repentance, changed life, sharing the gospel. When Andrew knew that Jesus was the Christ, remember John 1? John said, Behold the Lamb of God. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. He immediately said, It's been nice knowing you, John. See you later. And he went and followed Jesus. But when he went to follow Jesus, he went and got Peter and said, I have found the Christ. Come with me, and I want to show you the Christ. A few verses later, we have Philip finding Jesus, and he goes and gets Nathaniel. These these descriptions that I'm giving you right now are the truly converted children of God that believe in the Son of God. This is what we all need to be doing to make proof of our faith. We need to be adding to our faith a whole lot more, and we need to be following it up with good works. This is what Jesus Christ said here in these last three verses. For judgment, I am coming to the world that by my person, by my power demonstrated in the miracles, by my preaching of the gospel, the way men respond to me are either, how would Paul put it, life unto life or death unto death, seeing or blind. But because you think you see, you will not humble yourself to the message, and therefore your sin remains. If you knew you were blind, you would believe the light of the world that's in front of you preaching the gospel, and you'd be forgiven. But they wouldn't. And so was by, Jesus Christ was the great divider. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. A man's foes will be those of his own household. Some will believe, some will not. Mm-hmm. And so there was, there was a division among the people. There was a division among the people. There was a division in this family between the, the son and the parents. Parents afraid, son fearless. A difference between the man born blind and the Pharisees. Pharisees with all the religious training, even in God's word, did not believe in the Son of God. The man born blind, we know that God doesn't hear sinners. He only hears those that worship him and do his will. And this was obviously a divine miracle. The man is not a sinner. Dost thou believe in the Son of God? I will, Lord, if you'll show him to me. I am he. 
I believe. And he worshiped him. Right. We worship him by what we do the rest of today and tomorrow and Tuesday if the Lord gives us those days. It's more than just taking the Lord's Supper or singing a song. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word from John chapter 9. Amen.